You can do it again and just oh, again the same thing. This is fine. No, no, no. And look straight at me while I'm doing it. <laughs> okay, this is Mistress Veronica, and you're listening to the Massacast, which is for people 18 years or older. Thank you. Hi, and thanks for downloading another episode. I'm not going to bore you with a whole bunch of stuff. I'll just get right to it. Uh, Princess Callie has been on the show uh, a few times before. Um, if you haven't listened to her last episodes, just do a search on the podcast website and you'll find it. Um, she's got a book, Enough to Make You Blush, Exploring Erotic Humiliation, which if you haven't read, it's really good. Because uh, if you think humiliation is one thing, it's, it's a lot of things. Um, and we talk about that in her, a lot of her other projects as well. You can find uh, her links to everything on massacast.com and just find this episode. So here she is. So it's been quite a few years since we spoke. Um, I follow you on Twitter, but I'm never on Twitter. So uh, <laughs> I, I'm sure I've missed a ton of things, but you're, how long have you been in California now? Oh, I think five years. Time oh. seems to blur together. It's, it's, um, it's a long time though. It seems like I've been here for a very long time. Although sometimes I feel like I just moved away from Boston. I try to get back to Boston once a year, but this year I haven't been back. So, so Boston has a very unique kink community. Um, and then you moved to California, which has a very big kink community. Um, are, are you heavily involved in the local or are you sort of like keeping to your close circle of friends or what was that like navigating? Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of an introvert and definitely a workaholic. And so I don't actually get out much for social time. Uh, San Francisco has an incredible number of events and classes and organizations and dungeon parties and all kinds of cool shit. And so I know a lot of people who do all of those things, and but um, I'm not heavily involved in the local scene. But you started Kink Academy. I did. And that, that's going still pretty strong. Uh, we were looking up some things the other day. I'm like, I guarantee you that's on Kink Academy. Yes, um, thank you. It's, it's the 11th year. That's amazing. I know. It really is. And I've... Um, it's it, deter, pure determination is is what that website is, and so uh, we've actually got some very exciting things coming up um, for the anniversary this year with with some new some new videos, which we've had to take a break the last couple of years, and so we're gonna be launching some new videos by the time this podcast is probably out. And I'm pretty excited about it. We've got some new educators coming in. We've got some new topics we're going to finally get to um, delve into. So Kink Academy is still going strong. It's um, it's definitely held its own. It's uh, what the, the amazing thing is, is it's evergreen content. So uh, I remember when I logged in and checked it out not too long ago, I, I remember like, wow, some of these videos, I remember when I first was looking at it and they still hold up. They're still high quality. They still just about any subject you can imagine. And also there were things I've never even heard of on there. I was like, Oh wow. I can't imagine. I've never seen someone do a class on this before. So it's really a really, a really great resource. Thanks. Um, <laughs> Thanks. Cause that's actually right there. You, you kind of summed up one of the main goals is to have a really nice spectrum of content that you can watch many, many times, like depending on where you are in your kink journey and, uh, what you need to know in that moment. So I really appreciate that. <laughs> that's, well, that's it's also, I think, 
I think we talked about this as well when when we first had you on to talk about it is um, uh, it's easy to be spoiled when you're in New York or when you're in LA or when you're in Boston when with a huge amount you know you go on you know any any kink events calendar and take your pick right there's a ton of stuff out there um, and in fact if you wanted to you could go to a different class or event every night so but most people aren't like that. Most people don't have that resource. Right. Um, so it's, uh, it's really, really good. Uh, thank you for that. Thanks. That's, um, I always enjoy hearing people's experience with the site. So I appreciate that. It's, it's been neat to watch the site grow and to see how different people are able to, um, you know, enjoy the videos. So yeah. it's, it's a delight. So you say you're a workaholic. What else, what else have you been doing to keep yourself busy? Well, As if that's not enough. Well, oh, no, believe me, that's there. That is plenty. And yet um, it is not all that's on my list. And so I'm currently working on my second kink book called Authentic Kink, which brings together all of the core concepts that I teach in all of my classes um, for the last 15 years. And so it's not so dependent on a specific interest, like my first book was the Enough to Make You Blush, Exploring Erotic Humiliation. I had lots of people that said, you know, that they enjoy my other classes, but because they weren't into humiliation, they didn't feel like they needed to pick up the book. And so this new book really applies no matter whether you are a beginner or a longtime kinkster, and regardless of what your particular interests are, it's a way of diving deeper into your own desires and articulating them in an even clearer way than you are currently. And in getting to figure out how to um, expand your interests in a way that's like fun and safe and sexy and um, healthy. Uh, it's, it's kind of funny because you, you mentioned your first book and um, we were talking to someone recently um, uh, about, you know, looking for a possible another play partner. And uh, this person said, I, I'm really into humiliation. Now, they had very little kink experience. Uh, and uh, we said, well, humiliation can mean a thousand and one different things. Um, do you mean this? And they were like, oh, God, no. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, that's no. Or do you mean this? Oh, God, that's hot. Um and uh, and I immediately thought of your book and suggested, well, you might want to read up because that's such a vague. I mean, it is a, it is a vague, not a vague term, but it just it can mean so many different things to so many different people. Um, either, you know, something just like a little bit of embarrassment that you're turned on by something to something extremely degrading. And um, and I know we talked about this a little bit before, but when you are when someone comes up to you that says that, I'm sure you're thinking the same thing. Uh, that can mean a lot of things. Um, how do you, how can you tell if you're going to, if you're thinking about playing someone or, or, uh, or just conversing with someone about where that line is? How do you, as a, as a dominant find where that line is of, okay, this is the, because the person may, might not even know where that line is themselves. Right. Um, oh yeah. How do you traverse that? In fact, I, there are plenty more people, I think, that are into humiliation that haven't experienced the kind of humiliation they're into than those that have, because there are lots of people who have explored this sort of thing in their fantasy, but it can be very tough, even in the kink scene, to find someone who feels comfortable doing psychological torment type of play, whether that's embarrassment, mm-hmm. humiliation, or degradation. 
Although one of my favorite and most frequent comments that I get after my humiliation class is people say something along the lines of, you know, I had no idea that I actually was already doing this. Because exactly like what you're saying, people have this very, very specific idea of what humiliation means, that it's um, it's often expected to be on the degrading level of intensity. You know, people um, make the assumptions based on their own biases of what humiliation play entails. But it is so, so personal. It's impossible to when someone says the word humiliation, it is nearly useless <laughs> without more information. And so for me, um, talking is almost always the solution. And so one of the core concepts in my humiliation book that is going to be even more elaborated on in my book, Authentic Kink, is the idea of a kernel kink or a goal feeling. And so a lot of times um, kinksters focus on the activity where we are very activity based. I flog, therefore I dominate. I crawl, therefore I submit. And I I would love to see folks pull away from that definition of their interests and really focus more on the feeling that they want to have during the scene and then after the scene, because sometimes those two can be different. And so um, I have a, a workbook that goes along with my Enough to Make You Blush book that's also available on Amazon. And it has like a whole page of feeling words that can help you share more of the nuance of the headspace that that you're actually trying to create. Because once you understand the headspace that you're shooting for, it's much easier to find activities to create that headspace rather than working backwards and trying to say, oh, well, I like to crawl. When in reality, crawling can be submissive or as if you all you need to do is go to a strip club and watch the way the uh, delicious strippers crawl, you can see that it also can be predatory. And so, right. you know, rather than working backwards and trying to assume that people know what you mean when you say an activity, articulate the feeling or the kernel kink that you're actually looking for. And I think that's the hardest part for people to convey, right? Uh, it's sort of like I know it when I see it type of situation, especially if someone's yes. new and 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 just exploring it. They have this fantasy in their head that it's difficult for them to convey because they're not they're not usually conveying like a specific activity. Um, they're they're usually conveying a feeling, and uh, or or you know when you try to say okay, well, what kind of dynamic do you like? Do you like the you know treasured pet type of dynamic? Do you like the sex toy dynamic? You know, then that that's kind of solidifies it a little bit. But um, but it's a really, really difficult thing to, for, for people just to genuinely put in the words. And so that's why, you know, something like a workbook. I remember when I first started go- getting into service, because most, most of my activities were just specific, you know, activity-based. Oh, I really want to be spanked or whatever. And someone gave me uh, the uh, Miss Abernathy's slave training manual. Oh, of course. And uh, I remember reading that going like, oh, wow, this is mostly about feelings than it is about, you know, specific activities or how an activity makes you feel. And that really opened my eyes. And that's how I was able to enjoy service because before I was like, wow, I want to clean for someone. But see, um, that's, that's exactly what I'm saying is that I think most yeah. kinksters 
say think that their interests are based in activity that that you if you i think if you ask you know kind of an average kingster who really doesn't like i'm lucky in that i get to spend a significant amount of time thinking about these things most people mm-hmm. when they think about kink it's you know it's because they're fantasizing or because they're you know fucking like it's right. it's a very sort of um conditional thought process and so i think that a lot of kinksters Start with the activities because they think that that's what they're into. Oh, I'm into spanking. And yes, the physical action is obviously an incredibly important component of it. But for someone, for some person, they might like spanking because they feel chastised, because they feel corrected and they feel cared about and they feel under someone's control. And maybe somebody else likes spanking, being spanked because they have been a good girl and it's actually a reward. And so that's the thing is that even something as that seems as simple as spanking as you just kind of go, oh, yeah, you know, I'm into spanking. That tells me the physical action you want me to do with my hand, but it doesn't, it still doesn't tell me what we're trying to create in you by this action. So it's, it's, um, it's always exciting to hear people that kind of move through that journey because it's such a natural one and it's such a common one to be able to articulate um, desire, you know, more specifically. When you're, uh, you know, when someone someone's just starting out, they're just because that's that's the most common thing I hear is people are like, well, I don't know, I just know I like the idea of this. How do you help them navigate that? How do you navigate with someone who is they know they like something? That it's hard for them to put in the words. Obviously, if you can sit down and take their time to put a workbook together, but if they don't have any context of you know the activities themselves, or um, is it just a lot of, you know, th- throwing stuff up against the wall when you're talking with them to try to drag out like what really makes their eyes light up um or do you like do baby steps and play how do you prefer uh, personally to yeah i think that there are two kind of two ways to approach that one is to make a game of the fantasizing and of figuring out what this root desire is and so I might, um, as a dominant at working with a new submissive, I might instruct them to start paying closer attention to the porn that they watch or the erotica that they read or the moments when they get aroused during the day. And rather than, and this is where, um, you know, my meta kink, my meta perversion starts to kick in and I go, okay, <laughs> so you've got to kind of step outside of your own arousal in that moment and, and think about what else you're feeling other than arousal. So maybe you feel um, small when somebody at your work uh, uh, corrects you quickly and softly, right? So maybe there, there isn't, it's, it's something that feels good instead of something that feels bad. So you get, you know, somebody wags their finger in your face and you realize that a- along with feeling aroused, you feel small you feel corrected. And so starting to make space in your mind for thinking about those things during arousal is a, is a fun challenge that you can um, think about as foreplay. And then of course the other side is action. So that's the thought side and the other side is action. And I always encourage kinksters to, to do some version of what I call the mad scientist session. So you might call it the guinea pig session or like the low 
pressure, playtime. But the idea is that rather than approaching the session from an orchestrative theatrical um, level of expectation, because most of us do think that a sexy time kink session is going to follow some sort of energetic flow, right? There's, it's going to start, you'll warm up, you build up, you peak, you come down together, you have aftercare. But a, but a mad scientist session or a guinea pig session takes away the expectation of rhythm that way and becomes more about the fun and adventure of trying new things. And then I'm, I'm a fan of literal documentation. So I like to actually get a yellow legal notepad and put it on a clipboard. And that as I then poke and prod them, or as we test out some new toy that I can actually stop and make notes. And so not only can that be some fun psychological torment to play with, but it actually then allows me to think and learn to then apply what I learn about how my partner's body and mind responses to some responds to something when I want to try to actually put it into an orchestrated scene. You could probably sell as a book, a collection of just the yellow legal notepad. Oh, yes. Just people see <laughs> in, you know, the inner workings of your mind as it, as that goes. You know, I am, um, I have kind of an office supply fetish. And when <laughs> I was a pro dom, cause I've been, a, I've been retired from the pro scene for a number of years now, but, um, and I still have uh collared submissive, but um, when I was a pro, I had at one point I had like a dozen collared submissives and easily two dozen regular clients. And I kept notes on everyone. And um, I do still have those tucked away in a storage bin uh, discreetly yeah, I, be, with I've privacy seen... respected, of course. But, yeah, there's some good stuff in there. I bet. I bet. Um, uh, I'm, I, I don't want to move away from the book too much, but I do want to talk about something. Uh, that we'll get to in just a bit about, about, I'm reminded of something you mentioned in our first episode that we talked to. So I'm going to come back to that, but I'm, I'm just telling you right now, we're going <laughs> to go back to something. Got it. Bookmarking. So um, uh, what else is in the book? Cause this book sounds like, I mean, I read your first one, but this, this next one sounds like your, your ultimate compendium of all things Cali right now. All of the most important lessons that I've learned and that I've over the last few years, I've realized are the foundation of every single class that I teach. And that then I just kind of mix out different stories to illustrate the points. Um, but the there's other good things like there's a lot of quips. I'm very into quips and sound bites and um easily digestible ideas. And so there's things like, you know, ramp up, don't dive in uh, as a suggestion to remind folks that the kink, um, right. kinky activities are very exciting and we immediately want to go to the high dive, but that it's actually more successful to build smaller successes and to create a sense of achievement that you can build on. And so, um, so, you know, that's one of the ideas that I, that I elaborate on quite a bit. I also go, I have an entire chapter that is dedicated to, um, that there is no one two way, T-W-U-E, 
And there is a huge list that I've been compiling of twoisms, um, including uh, a number of them that when I tweeted, I'm, see, I love Twitter. I spend a lot of time on Twitter. And so I tweeted one day, you know, what are the twoisms that you have heard in the scene? And a twoism is a stereotype or myth that is presented as fact, that it is the one true way of kinkiness. And so there's a lot of um, really funny and really poignant stereotypes that I address in that chapter that I'm, I'm quite looking forward to tackling. Can you give us any hints, any, any sneak previews? Oh, let's see. Um, well, and one of my favorite things about twoisms is that they are almost entirely contradictory. And so one twoism might be that the submissives dictate everything. And then another person's twoism is that the dominants, in fact, dictate everything. Um, right. That... Uh, you know, one truism that has been brought up a number of times is that if you're alpha at work, you know, or if you're a very strong personality in your regular life, that you are automatically going to be submissive in your private life. There's truisms about negotiation. Every little bit has to be negotiated or no, once you give blanket consent, that's fine. So the the ridiculousness and the delight of seeing all of these things really listed out and you realize how often these concepts are, are shared in the kink community, um, it's much easier to then move beyond them. Because one of the things that I argue in the book is that all of us are affected by the stereotypes that we consciously and unconsciously believe about, about kink. And that even if you are a fully embraced, um, you know, long time proud pervert, there is likely to be some mythology that you have bought into that is actually holding you back from having the most authentic, the most satisfying kink experience that you could, that you can have. Absolutely. Uh, and this, this is something that you will hear uh, a lot. And the, the amazing thing to me is that sometimes I'll hear someone, you know, espouse something like this. And I'll be like, that's ridiculous. And other times I'll just nod along because I'm like, yeah, sure. Okay. That makes sense. Either because I don't experience the thing they're talking about or, uh, or, or I, I have no concept of it. Right. But there are so many varieties of, of, you know, how people do things. Like, like I, I know people who absolutely love, submissives who top from the bottom like that's like their favorite thing and uh yet at the same time you hear most people are like nope that's it that's the line that you can't be a submissive you touch from the bottom. you should never be played with again if you dare right. to top from the bottom yeah um so so yeah the, the, there's definitely i can't wait to that that's i wonder how many people are going to read that and laugh and go oh my god i'm guilty of that and how many people who read that are going to be deeply offended because they're guilty of it themselves well, and that's the thing is that there's there's a ton of humor in the list, but I think that there also um, is is some incredible insight in how we see ourselves in the kink world. You know, I think that a lot of kinksters we like to think of ourselves as outsiders and outliers, and that certain human behaviors somehow don't apply to us. And I think that. Um, you know, seeing this kind of a, a, 
a culture list um, will will help folks to see the ways that this stuff affects us because some of it is blatantly ridiculous. You know, things that you just go, of, of course that's not true. What are you even talking about? But there are other things that are more insidious. And and like for one of the examples I use is that um, I'm not a huge fan of being vulnerable. <laughs> like not only does it not suit my personality, but I have also internalized a lot of things about what a dominant looks like, strong, confident in their decisions, right? And so even though I can intellectually understand that I as a human being am more complex than that, that I as a dominant am more complex than that, that's a stereotype or a myth or a belief that I've internalized that I really have to frequently remind myself is nonsense. And so those kinds of ones that aren't as obvious that I think play into more of our personality traits or that sort of a thing, you know, are really powerful when we're able to move beyond them. I, th I think, and, and I think it doesn't matter how long one can be in, in the scene or into this, you, there's always some part of you that still is infected by lack of a better term by um, how kink is depicted in other Absolutely. forms, right? Yes. So, you know, regardless of how well you know that, oh, that stereotype is simply isn't true, it still kind of seeps in as, as the stereotype when you imagine it sometimes, right? Exactly, um, because those things get imprinted onto us in, right. in ways that just aren't always conscious. And, and usually, like, for me, it's when I'll be watching some, I don't know, some rom-com or some, some movie, and they'll show the stereotypical dominatrix who's, you know, yelling at someone calling them a worm and, and you know just whatever they've the, the director or writer of the movie saw in porn and um i'll be like haha and then i'll be like wait a minute i don't know anyone like that or you know that's not yes. you know that's nothing <laughs> like ours right right um but uh but yeah so so you're, you're gonna do the you've got the truisms you've got uh expanded humiliation is it is it uh is this gonna be a pretty thick book and or what do you because I imagine you have probably enough to do several volumes if you wanted to. Yeah, probably. But I'm going to work to get to get it all into one. I think that um, because I – a main goal of my writing is to be accessible and devourable. And so yeah. I want to get get these ideas across through stories and through fun descriptions and analogies, but I don't want it to feel like you're reading through someone's thesis or something. Um, even though actually now that I think about it in some ways, that's probably kind of what this is. It's like my, my PhD um, uh, thesis. Um, but, you know, I'd say that it's probably going to be a couple hundred pages and it's also going to talk about figuring out your style. It's going to have plenty of things about communication, although not the same old shit that you've heard in every other book. And, suggestions about how to get into headspace and one of the one of the core ideas of the book is making kink work for you within your lifestyle we all have these fantasy what i call circus kink where we want to get out all the toys and do these you know three hour three day sessions <laughs> but i'm a big fan of keeping the motor running and keep keeping kink going in your life in, you know, truly livable sort of ways. So there's going to be all kinds of ideas, um, concrete suggestions on how to do that. I also focus a lot on, I'm kind of an information junkie. And so I 
pack as many actionable ideas in as humanly possible. And I think that's what what I've always because I read your blog as well. And I think that's one thing I really enjoy about your writing is it it is, um, for lack of a better term, down to earth, um, realistic. You understand that the people who your reader is is you know has probably a day job or has you know has a life outside of it. Uh, and that's always I found to be very refreshing because you know sometimes you'll read something and it's clear that the person either a is in a situation where they don't have to worry about external forces or or b uh they're writing for a fantasy of some kind right right um, exactly i i nearly called the book realistic kink but realized that it wasn't that still wasn't quite sexy enough um <laughs> right but that's exactly it. Actually, from a career of creating fantasies for folks, I learned that the best fantasies come to life are ones that are rooted in reality. And so, you know, so many of these books that that talk about spending 15 minutes every morning picking out a pair of panties for your partner, you know, that's that's awesome in theory. Maybe it's possible for a month or two, but most people's lives just don't work that way. And so right. I'm all about giving people ways to actually experience kink. And so while it might not be you know, the full on Disneyland version every single time, it's a way of staying connected to this aspect of yourself in a way that's fun and sexy and lighthearted. I think it's important too, for people to remember that, uh, that, you know, like Sad, we, so we have, we have our, our idea of what our DS and our life would be like if we won the lottery. Right. Right. Uh, and then we have the version we live with. Right. Um, and, uh, and she, you know, we both know, look, it's unfortunately not po not possible to uh, to do everything that we want all the time, but it's still there. And it's nice that it's always there. And it's nice that the fantasy is there. But, um, you know, it, it, I know some people who if they can't have everything that they want in their fantasy, it just feels like, a, uh, you know, a complete letdown or whatever. Um, and I think I think it's important for people to remember it's OK to, you know, only experience 50% or 10% that's, you know, not having it all on at all times. So have you, I can't, I don't, I can't remember if we talked about last time, my Jason Bourne comparison. You? No, I don't know if we did or not, but I, if you, if we did, I'd love to hear it again. Okay. So, because, because what you're talking about is one of the biggest obstacles to people ex experiencing the kind of consistent play that they desire. And what it, it's what I call the Jason Bourne element. And so I ask this question in all of my classes, and it's a little uh, it's a little vulgar, but it is exceptionally accurate. And the question is this: in in the Jason Bourne movies, when does Jason Bourne shit? Right. right. That in this exciting action movie, he's leaping off the buildings, he's shooting bad guys, he's saving the damsels in distress, he's shooting off of more buildings. And at no point in time, even though he inhabits a human body, he is not a cyborg, um, he does not appear to need any time to shit. And I think that our sexual fantasies are similar, is that we, in our mind, it's all jumping off of buildings and shooting the bad guy. And it's not ever, oh God, I have to pee. I drank too much water today. Or, right. um, you know, you know, shit, I forgot the flogger in the car. I'll be right back. And so 
you know, or oh, that pinches. Can we redo that tie exactly. or something? Exactly. You know, just that right. things do not flow as perfectly in real life as they do in our minds, and it is tragic when someone focuses on that instead of the suspension of disbelief and the achievement of fantasy that we are able to create in our lives. Yeah. You know. Um. Uh. I know, I know you've got to go pretty soon, but I hope you'll come back uh, a little bit. But before we, I get to my last question that I think about often, uh, when, when are you hoping the book comes out? It'll be 2019. I've got a couple of projects I'm juggling right now. And so probably start to look for it in the middle of 2019. That's great. Perfect. Because I haven't been looking forward to anything in 2019 and now I do have something to... <laughs> great. That's good. Well, let's see. We could all just blow it all up, but uh, we have, Callie's book is coming out, so let's hold up. So we'll just have to right. wait it out. Yeah, <laughs> we'll have to wait it out, and then it'll be all worth it. Um, so you said something the very first time we talked um, uh, that really resonated with me, and I've, I've mentioned this to other people, and they they're like, "Oh my God, that's so true." You you talked about um, when you first got into kink, when you first got into it. Uh, I think the term you used was "domitis." I oh, could yes. be wrong. Uh, about how you took on a persona that you, because you were just exploring it, you took on a persona that you imagined a dominant to have. Um, and, and then after you got comfortable with it, you were like, oh, that's not me at all. That's not how I am. Uh, there are aspects that I enjoy of that persona that I created, but I moved on. And and I loved that, the way you phrased that. And, uh, and I also, it, it describes just a natural evolution of things, right? But you first get into something, maybe you're a little rusty in something. And so you fake it until you make it, I guess is yeah. lack of a better yeah. term. But I'm curious, like, uh, you know, compared to let's say five years ago, like what are the things that you look back on of how you've evolved or changed or th perceptions you have that have, that have, that are different now. And you look back on five years ago and you're like, Oh wow, I've changed in this way. Is there some, is there, is there something like that as well that you can, maybe it's not as dramatic as going from Domitis to who you are now, but are there things that you've discovered about yourself or uh, just your perceptions? Of yeah, definitely. The one that, that comes to mind is um, money actually. So I, I've always done, financial domination, not the hashtag FinDom version that is often the, um, you know, kind of easy drive-through version of financial domination. But, you know, as part of DS dynamics, as part of humiliation play. And when I was younger, I was quite a bit more frivolous with money in general. I just, um, you know, didn't have, I think, as deep of an understanding about budgets and those kinds of things. And so, whereas when I was in my twenties, it was very much like, you know, Oh, just, just buy me three new pairs of jeans, even though I don't really need any more pairs of jeans. And now as a grown ass woman, my, I tend to do like, you know, um, you know, well, can you pay your rent before you buy the, buy me these shoes? I want to make sure that, you know, we're not, so I think that some of some of my relationship to money has made me not quite as fun about those things. I've I've actually had a couple of my submissives wish that I would just you know pluck money from their wallet the way that I used to. Um, right. So that that's the one that kind of comes to mind most easily. But I think that in general, my 
my personal desire to overcome actually the tourism that I mentioned earlier and to be more vulnerable with um, kinksters, particularly around sharing the challenges that come with dominance. This year I created a new class called Dominant Self-Care. And um, it's something that I am a very strong advocate for, that, that we need to talk more about dominant self-care and about um, triggers for dominance and about uh, mm. dom drop because self-care and aftercare and subspace and triggers are all things that we've all talked a lot about from the submissive's perspective. And one thing that has become acutely um, that I become acutely aware of over the years is how much responsibility comes with the domination style that includes, you know, real in-depth submission from other people. I, I, I feel a, a tremendous sense of responsibility to the people who submit to me in a way that I didn't have a depth of understanding when I was younger. I always took it very seriously, but, um, Caring for my own mental state is something that I, I did not have as much of an awareness and the impact that the, that responsibility could have on me. So that's something that I, I both talk about a lot now in my personal life and with other, you know, with dominant friends and then also in my classes is just making sure that dominants don't become overwhelmed by the you know, the obligation and the orchestration and the planning and the responsibility of it all, because that can really turn the tide of, of, of the kink experience for some dominance. Yeah. And I think, and I know uh, I have a lot of dominant friends who will say that they will, um, you know, because depending on the type of play they're doing, they might have this feeling of invulnerability afterwards. Um, and that if they don't actually look closely that, that that can kind of creep up on you at, at times, right? Yes. Um, like yeah. after a play scene, if you don't realize, oh, uh, this actually crossed the line for me, or maybe I crossed the line with them. And even though my the submissive is perfectly fine, that was too much for me. Um, you know, it's because again, if you repeat that over and over again, you know. It, um, it is very damaging. And particularly for an interest like humiliation, where the the specific desire from your partner is that you run headlong into confronting taboos and to forcing them to quote unquote forcing them to confront these taboos as well right. and that's a lot to take on without without any sort of aftercare or support or understanding that you can't just wear this mantle of taboo and not have it impact you at all whatsoever. Now, different people are going to be affected different ways and at different variations, right? It might not actually affect you all that much, but, but unless you really are actually taking a look at it, it can be tough to know. Um, well, I hope you'll come back and we can do a deep dive on that because that sounds like a, it's an hour long conversation in and of itself. Um, oh, totally. There's a be, lot there. Really be great to talk to you about that. And, and uh, your website is enough to make you blush. They can yeah, find enough to make you blush.com and also coaching by Cali.com. K A L I are the two places you can find me. And of course, kinkacademy.com, which you'll want to check out to see what kind of new goodies that we are posting.
And uh, I'm definitely going to be rejoining to jump on some of the more advanced rope things on there. So, awesome. uh, thank, thanks so thank much you so for much for having me. I really appreciate it. And and uh, let's definitely do the the dominant uh, uh, self care discussion. Uh, you know, another month or two because that's that's something that n- nobody talks about. That so that would be really good. So awesome. Sign me up. <laughs>